0: I think this week we can actually start with a bit of follow-up because my hope to use cross-compilation for Windows compatibility testing was swiftly <laughs> shot down by Max Desiatov in a Mastodon post. I'm not sure if you've seen his reply um, or his post. Did you? Did you see that?
1: I haven't, no, no.
0: Um, so the issue there is apparently that um, in order to make that work, you need to, you need to have components from Visual Studio. So you need not either you right. have Visual Studio installed, or, you know, you sort of need to would need to extract the libraries, and that's obviously not something that's that's just
1: distributable or shippable. I think we did kind of mention that on the episode where we we. we well I don't think we were concrete about it but we did say oh it's, it's actually there's there's potential that we might need a windows environment for that and i think that max's post there is is proof that we do yeah i i
0: wonder if is there's a way to work around it by creating your own uh, cross compilation environment after the fact but i'm i'm not sure how, what the licensing terms say if you can operate it once you've downloaded it and, and you know copied it over yourself or if that's also off limits, I'm not sure how that works um, exactly. But um, he did; it didn't sound like it's it's a route
1: that's open to us at least. So, I think part of it as as well is that we're trying to provide real world compilation results and real world compilation results on macOS get compiled on macOS and and to a certain extent, real world compilation results on. Windows should also, I think, be on Windows. And yes, it makes our job a little harder um, managing more environments. But uh, but I'm I'm not I'm not devastated that uh, that that's not going to be uh, a problem because it's the kind of thing that even if we could get it working, we who knows what would happen down the road, right? right.
0: And and the next thing you're going to say is we need to set up a uh, iPhone and iPad build farm. Is is that what
1: you're saying? <laughs> well, no, because so I so, yes 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 I know. <laughs> because you would build iphone and I, I, ios applications on mac you right? do actually so, build it so there, that yes. is still a real world uh environment my my argument stands <laughs> <laughs>
0: right well anyway so that that's certainly going to be very likely going to be more complicated than uh, than we were hoping but let's see let's see how it yes. goes mm-hmm.
1: let's see how it um, goes i also have a little bit of follow-up um we had a an email in um or I had an email in after we talked about um using GPT to search um uh potentially not not as the summarization which we talked about, but as the search um uh like out there idea that we had. Um and this uh this is a blog post from uh Ramin. Uh and it's basically using ChatGPT to search documents and databases. Um, so it's the code that he's um, he's written is in Python rather than uh, in Swift. But uh, I wanted to mention here. I also popped it in our Discord when it arrived. Um, but uh, I wanted to mention this uh, this post that he sent in. And uh, if you if you, basically the the application that he. Um, created with it is to create a web application for answering questions from Tesla car manuals. So he fed it with Tesla car manual data, um, and then you can ask that um, that uh, application uh, questions, but it's basically using GPT to search uh, that data. So uh, I thought I'd give that a mention as a quick bit of follow-up uh, after he uh, sent that in after listening to our GPT episode.
0: Interesting. I completely missed that. I did not see that message. I need to check that out. That
1: sounds quite interesting. It's certainly worth a read. There's a lot of code in the uh, blog post. Um, it's it's uh, it's a very it's a very verbose in terms of uh, you could I would imagine you could actually take this code and get this this thing running. So stick it in GPT and have it
0: converted to Swift. Is, a, is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> GPT is the answer to everything, really. <laughs> it certainly is. Yep. Yeah right do we have anything else in terms of news that we want to cover this week i mean next week is um is the big thing right the um big wwdc week
1: yeah next week we will be um although the next time we record this podcast i'm imagining we'll be surrounded by uh virtual reality if if every if every website is to be believed (laughs) uh so, um, so yes, this is the last time that this will be an audio only podcast. It will, it will be virtual reality from next episode. I guess that's, that's a cast iron guarantee there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but actually, I mean, one of the one thing that, that that's obviously, obviously I'm not being serious there, but, um, one other thing that does come with every WWDC is new versions of Xcode and new versions of Swift, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's that time of year again. We did
0: have the 5.8 release was in March, I believe. And know, uh, yeah, obviously this aligns then, you know, this will be, we'll get the first 5.9 versions next week, I suppose. And the final release will probably be in September with all the rest. But the beauty of the Swift project is that you get some visibility on what's coming in the next Swift version, right? There's proposals that are being managed via the swift forums there's a website i believe even on, on Swift.orgs so you can now see the um evolution proposals in flight and the ones that have been accepted and all that That's so true. you get you get to
1: see what's coming right yeah so uh, it's actually worth just um uh talking about that briefly if um So there was, for a while, there was an independent um, Swift Evolution website, and that has quite recently been integrated into uh, swift.org. So if you go to swift.org, and on the sidebar on the left-hand side, if you click on Swift Evolution, then you can see all of the accepted, in-review, pending, whether it's under active review or or whether it's an accepted feature, that's all now uh, integrated into swift.org and there's a search box at the top there which if you type in 5.9 uh it will show you all of the uh, implemented and accepted uh, evolution proposals for a specific language version which is an extremely useful uh tool to have so in, in case that's that slipped uh, past you then that's a that's a good uh a good resource to know about yeah that's really nice i actually
0: didn't know this or didn't remember this. I'm sure I've seen it, but I've secretly forgotten about it and I actually asked on Mastodon last night if there's a list. Someone pointed to that list, but I also found a website that's quite nice that lists um, upcoming five, nine features. It's bybydev byby.dev and it lists the proposals and also has a little paragraph about what it's about. So it's a bit more on a on a single page, a bit more information what the individual um, Swift evolution proposal is about. Yeah,
1: oh yeah, that's really nice. I I hadn't come across that. I went straight to uh, uh, as <laughs> I think with my with with my Swift website work group uh, hat on. My 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 uh, instant uh, feeling was to go straight to Swift.org. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is there anything particular to worth highlighting in? Um, in the context of our new section here on, on the proposals or going through them i'm i'm not sure if it's worth probably going through all of them because some of them are very specific
1: a lot of them around concurrency is there anything do you have a favorite amongst them um i do have a favorite actually and um the fav- my favorite one of of all these that are going in um is it's just a really nice little syntactic sugar um feature around um if and switch statements um uh, so rather than using kind of uh an if statement or a switch statement inside a closure um you can now just assign the result of a an if or a switch um to something so it cuts down uh on potential use of ternary uh, operators which is you know ternary operators are fine but they rarely create very readable code in everything other than the most simplest um, uh, use of them. Um, yeah. So I really like that you can now, or you will now be able to um, just say variable equals and then if or switch, and the result of one or whatever that statement is gets assigned. And that's, that's gonna save a lot of, um, it's not gonna be a huge time saver or anything like that, but it's just a nice bit of syntactic sugar.
0: Yeah, it's, it's nice. The ternary really only works if the expressions, you know, in each branch are, are really short. I mean, you can, you can fiddle a bit with the formatting so that it doesn't get too crazy, but having a proper if statement with uh, curlies and stuff certainly makes that easier to line up, I think. Um, and the other thing is that the because they're now expressions, they you can also elide the return in... Um, in you know, if you have a function that immediately switches on something, for instance, uh, and in each um, case you can then elide the return, so you can write really concise little um, functions that that switch on something and and handle the individual branches without everything looking like you know a lot of return keywords and very little information otherwise. So that should be nice.
1: The other thing I think is just worth. Um mentioning about uh, some of these proposals that are going into 5.9 is that they are not all Apple authored um I mean obviously Apple uh author a lot of proposals for um and, and implementations of Swift features um but that by far from that's far from uh the only uh contributions that are going in there um and there was a couple here so w- one of them was um Importing forward-declared Objective-C interfaces and protocols uh, by Nuri Amari, and, Mari. Um, and, and I, I, it's possible um, Nuri works for Apple. But from a quick from a quick look, I don't think they do. Um, and certainly, I know that um, the ads sleep for 2 clock proposal which is adding a, a a sleep function to uh to clock was authored by brandon williams and um stephen Sellis. uh so a couple of uh men I think it's worth mentioning that when people from outside of apple get get features into a major version then i think that's also worth it's worth highlighting yeah
0: there's, there's one little note doug greger last night mentioned in the little thread on mastodon that the se 0384 importing forward declared objective c interfaces and protocols might not make it into 59 apparently there's some late um issues um, with the uh, with the implementation ah okay so there you go happens with that um yeah is there anything else i mean there's there's lots of things around concurrency um it seems like this is a bit of a follow up um you know release adding stuff uh, i think uh, convenience async uh, uh, stream make stream methods that's something to make it easier to create async streams um i've never actually actively created one but apparently there was a bit of ceremony around creating them and keeping around the stream and the continuation so this this static method make stream makes that a bit easier and that's always nice because often i think the problem with these especially when it's new apis is to figure out where to get started with them and i really like it when there's a very obvious entry point into apis and that makes it very easy to to you know go from there because the return types guide you with you know what you get back you can then inspect and and use so that's nice um and i think the other thing worth mentioning briefly is the custom actor executors is is that how you pronounce is it executors or executors i'm i wasn't
1: executors it could be (laughs) (laughs) yeah the
0: custom actor excel things <laughs> <laughs> and um i i i've come across that a couple of times because i believe that is p- uh, particularly interesting in the context of neo um there was a post a while back on the swift forums um, that one of the, this would help neo to um, fully adopt concurrency because it currently is um i think there's a bit of a performance hit if you use concurrency as in async in await Async await um, um, mechanism keywords. Okay, um, I think it has to do with with um, uh, thread jumping stuff like that. I, I'm not I'm not really sure of the details. Um, there's I'll add a, shink, uh, <laughs> a link to the show notes um, for people who are interested in in further details on that. But yeah, other other than that, I don't think there's there's a whole lot um, new coming in. In five nine that we can see, do you do you think there might be something a bit a bit of a surprise? I, I recall in the past, I think we've had a couple of WWDCs where entirely new stuff landed that wasn't
1: actually um, out in the open. Um, so the only one I can remember that happening for was um, in 2019 or. Is it 19? When does SwiftUI come out first of all? I'm terrible with years. It might, yeah, it could have been 19. Yeah, I think it might have been 19. When some of the language features that make SwiftUI possible dropped with, I mean, they still kind of went through the evolution <laughs> yeah. process, but maybe <laughs> no. maybe not quite as publicly as some other features. Um, and, uh, and, and so I think that's the only time I can remember that happening with Swift. Um, it's possible. Um, I mean, what uh? What language feature would, would virtual reality need? I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
0: it feels like all of that is more like a, a library thing, right? That's that's stuff that would be out of
1: our view. Yeah, Apple have been working on um ARKit in in public for many many years, and so what if yeah. if there is any announcement coming? Um, this is not this is not something that's really getting dropped like Swift UI kind of dropped out of nowhere people were talking about declarative um user interfaces but certainly hadn't been worked on in public whereas if there is an ar vr announcement um this year um this has been worked on in public for five years eight years even do you
0: think there will be will there be a hardware will there be a, a new platform announced next week
1: so I've I've written briefly about this in I I don't really do rumors like I I, I and these rumors at the moment are unavoidable. You can't look anywhere without t- hearing somebody talk about uh, what uh, what is you know if you read any any coverage of this then it's guaranteed that this is happening on Monday. <laughs> um, I don't really do rumors, but um, I think it's possible. I think the noise is so deafening that I'd even go as far as to say it's likely. Um, I do wonder whether it's, I mean, clearly, a VR or a mixed reality headset, I don't think is, I don't think it makes a lot of sense for Apple to release that as a consumer product. Um, And one thing I wrote, I think a year ago, when, uh, again, this was all rumors a year ago, was that some kind of developer kit makes sense? But the problem with the developer kit is, so a developer kit for an AR um, product in the future. But the problem with the developer kit is, if you release anything as Apple, even if you say, yeah, shout it from the highest rooftop that it's a developer kit, that's not how it's going to be received. And so, and Apple know that, of course they do. Um, it, it, they're in they're in a very difficult situation to launch something that isn't what they kind of are intending to launch, but also they're a, they're, they're a company that can that can iterate and so i think if we do see something this year it will be the start of an iteration process
0: so you've given me effectively the politician's answer do, do you think there will be one <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 okay i'll put my I'll, I'll put my uh my flag in the sand um no hardware this year that's that's interesting i've
0: i've been thinking about this is uh, lots of people say you know this is boiling over again right and i say again because i recall there were lots of rumors about this last year as well and the argument people have this year is well there's there's so much talk about this if apple wanted this to to cool this off a bit you know not to have a disappointment next week they they'd have you know a little wall street journal um -hmm. you know a little birdie whisper something to you know to give some hints what's happening and that because that's not happening people say well there's going to be announcement next week about this but then i thought well we had the same thing last year i don't recall there any any articles like that coming out to to call it off so i i tend to I I don't know. I really don't know. I also don't do rumors, and and I really like the um, anticipation. To, you know, to see what's going to be coming next week. Sure. My biggest problem with AR VR, it's it's interesting, but I outside of gaming, I don't really see. Yeah. Obvious use cases, and there might be, you know, less obviously you know, obvious use cases what do we know right there might be stuff um that then in hindsight will be very obvious right stuff yeah that's the thing right new stuff you you don't necessarily see coming it's only obvious in hindsight but there are VRAR goggles out there already and it seems to me like the only stuff the only application that has any sort of traction is games um The video conferencing stuff—I don't know if that's game-changing. It's
1: not enough, right? Yeah.
0: There was a verge thing recently about a demo at Google um, at Google's event that was very, apparently, very remarkable. The the video conferencing setup um, with—they had like lenses. You had a big TV screen and then lenses that gave you didn't wear goggles, but I think there was a a lens array that gave your uh, your eyes different. And perspectives and that gave you a three D sense of your um, the partner you were talking to. But uh-huh. I mean, is that is that truly a game changer?
1: I, I I don't think so. I don't know. I think that's also where Apple are quite good at this. Where they, what we're doing is we're looking at every other headset that's currently out there and yeah, and saying, well, this isn't good enough i I would like to see, I would love to see if if there is an announcement, I would love to see what that announcement is. and I'm, I'm my mind is open. um I there was one thing which there was one use which which did strike me at first uh, initially as quite an interesting one, but then as soon as I thought about it for a little bit, i I'm not so I'm not so keen anymore. someone was saying. Uh, wouldn't it be great if you could have um, uh, use a a VR or or mixed reality headset to to have effectively unlimited monitor space in front of you, right? Um, so rather than sitting in front of a, a twenty seven or a thirty two inch monitor, you might sit in front of a you know as many as you want as a Windows whatever you want, right? Yeah. But so I've used some of these headsets, and after an hour or so. Your eyes are very tired, or at least in my experience, my eyes were very tired. <laughs> um, yeah. and maybe the maybe if there's a big leap forward in quality or something like that, but fundamentally, putting putting a screen that close in front of your eyes, yeah, I think is going to make your eyes quite tired. It certainly makes mine tired, and so the li- the limitations of of anything that you would be expected to to sit in front of for eight hours i'm not sure that, i'm not sure i'm going to be able to do that if that's the case
0: well just thinking about wearing um in yeah, it's quite warm where where i am in summer so just right. imagining yeah. wearing <laughs> i can't wear the airpods max um like all day not even for more than an hour i'll, I'll be i'll be drenched in, in, in sweat it's just that's not going to work (laughs) so this will never be like in in this climate this will won't be a viable work environment with a with a headset i mean unless it's like literally glasses that would work but um a a headset wouldn't work so um i i i I hope that isn't the path we're on because then i might have to move or or, or get like get a beefy ac or something
1: (laughs) (laughs) So after both of us saying that we don't do rumours, we've now just talked yeah. about rumours for the last 10 minutes.
0: <laughs> well, you know, we're not, we're, we're just guessing. We're playing the little guessing game, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. But uh, maybe we should uh, move on to some package recommendations instead of stuff that we have no idea what we're talking well, Actually, I'm not sure we don't have any idea about what we're talking about on any subject, but certainly we have slightly more idea on packages. We do
0: have package and I have I, f- I feel like really great about my package selection this week if I if I may brag a bit. <laughs> okay, that's good. It's like every week starts and I think god am I going to I'm going to find interesting packages uh and it always works out I think. Um but this week I I'm really happy about um especially some late entries. Um do you mind if I get started to get this uh, to get this rolling? Go for it, yeah. And, and I hope this is <laughs> this is going to be a, a letdown for folks because I think there's a perhaps a bit of my background shining through. So the first package is um, LaTeX Swift UI or LaTeX Swift UI um, and MathJax Jacks Swift um, two packages, uh, one building on top of the other, by Colin Campbell. Um, so what this does, this gives you a Swift UI view uh, in which you can render LaTeX math expressions. So for those who don't know, LaTeX is a markup language to create mostly scientific documents. You can create any documents with it, but it's sort of originated in the, in the science departments where there was a need for um, a bit like advanced layouts around um, equations, graphs, um, tables and stuff like that, um, references and that sort of thing. So think of it as HTML for scientific papers with uh, the goal of having high fidelity output for print and display um, Has very rich support, as I said, for representing math and physics formulas in particular. I think what it really is is a procrastination playground for when you need to get your, your thesis done because you can fiddle around with this to the nth degree. It's, it's a fantastic uh, fertile, fertile playground to get a, a completely um, absorbed with tiny little details. Um, and that's, I guess, why, why I love this so much because I spent quite a bit of time when I was doing physics, um, in particular towards the end, <laughs> to fiddle with LaTeX. Um, the really nice thing about this, you can try this in a playground. So what I thought initially when I saw this package is that you need to actually in, install a LATEX package okay. under the hood, and these these are big. Like installing LATEX is these days, it's I think it's just packages you can install it with brew, um, but it's always a bit daunting because there are different like slightly different versions. There's LATEX, there's uh, Xatec. and Sort of different variants of them. This one has no dependencies, um, external dependencies. So you can plug this. You could use our trying a playground thing from the package page, launch it into a one of these playgrounds that we create, and then paste in uh, quite complex, you know, like equations, like proper big equations. Uh, and they come out beautifully, and it uses under the hood this uh, pack, other package I mentioned, MathJax Swift, which is a Swift wrapper around MathJax, and that is a JavaScript package to render that renders um, uh, LaTeX math expressions, and this is using JavaScript core to do all this. And the reason, I mean, I, I find this really great, just just because that's the kind of st- stuff I I love as a former physicist, um, the fidelity of, of rendering these equations and stuff. But I also think this is really great in the context of a thing I mentioned in the past, and that is um, graphing tooling. So you may recall I played around with replacing my usual setup to create graphs of Python, Jupyter, and Matplotlib with Swift playgrounds mm-hmm. and charts a couple of months back. And if you throw this in the mix, which is very easy to do because the other thing I talked about was based on swift ui and charts to create like really really nice looking graphs. That gives it yet another superpower because now you can plug in formulas and you know any sort of latex expression and add that to the mix and you get you can do like really really nice graphs and Get the really rich, um, high fidelity output that LaTeX offers, and on, you know, in combination with the really great output that charts has. And uh, I'll, I'll probably stop generating now because I've been going on
1: for quite a bit now. So I have no experience with the LaTeX or LaTeX or however we, however you pronounce it my uh my dissertation at university was 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 not uh it was a it was a computing one but it was not it was nothing i didn't need any uh equations or anything like that in it uh it was a a little bit more more uh, applied than theoretical uh and so i never i've never actually used uh latex uh, at all so um i have very little doubt for this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just um,
0: I've... am sure it's great though. <laughs> <laughs> take my joy. And um, yeah, I could say from the brief testing I've done with, you know, not just a simple equation, a, a, quite a, a bigger one, it, it renders really nicely. And MathJax Under the Hood is, is a rich uh, JavaScript um, package that's been around for a bit. So I think there's, there's good reason to believe that this will hold up quite well for any sort of formulas you throw at it. So there you go. That sounds great. That's a uh, LaTeX Swift UI based on Mathjack Swift and both packages are by Colin Kapel.
1: So my uh, my first recommendation is a little um, more down to earth than uh, than a LaTeX uh, processor. Um, it's uh, a package from Kyle Hughes and it's an URL query item coder. Uh, so this is a package that is potentially quite practical for use in uh, packaging next code. Although I don't think we've had a need for it yet, Uh, but certainly in other server-side Swift code, uh, this is the kind of thing you might find useful, or actually, if you're creating URLs from within a uh, iOS or macOS application, you could potentially use this uh, as well. It effectively is an encoder and decoder for working with codable types as URL query items. So if you're building up a URL uh string that has uh the question mark and then a whole load of parameters after it um it is a it can take any codable type and and represent it in um in a query string which i think is potentially a useful thing but also i would <laughs> i would i would urge a little caution with it i mean obviously if you're designing an api then you have much more uh, a server side api you have much more control over how that api will look mm-hmm. um and you probably don't want to lean too far into query strings but there are a lot of uh, instances where you would be uh interacting with other people's apis and maybe they are using query strings or something like that so i think it's it's uh it's interesting enough to take a look at it. um uh because it's the kind of thing that when you need to do this getting it right is is um it's just fiddly you know
0: yeah i mean it's i always you know you always start off with well you know, how hard is it going to be you have a question mark and then you uh, you know concatenate an array and the the joiner is a an ampersand and, and all that and then you forget about the encoding of of special characters and all that so i think for that alone it's really yes. nice to have that extra help and not
1: having to worry about these little details that get in the way that's that's nice yeah so mine is a mine is a much, a much um uh more tightly scoped uh recommendation than the first one <laughs> but uh but still still potentially very useful nice
0: um I think my second package also falls in that category way more and it's a package called Country Kit by Frédéric Jacques. Um, and this is one of those really nice helper packages that gives you um, access to a data set um, and the data set is, as as the name implies, everything around continents, regions, sub-regions and countries. So um, not just the countries themselves, but also you know groupings if you need access to I don't know, like Africa and the nations there and and that sort of thing. Um, And the nice thing is this wraps around um, something called the standard country or area codes for statistical user uh, I guess index. It's it's UNM forty nine on Wikipedia.
1: That was going to be my question. Yeah, <laughs> uh, where does it get its data from? <laughs> because yeah, it's a it's a potentially um, potentially uh, hot topic of what countries, continents. Yeah. Uh, well, not I think we've pretty much agreed on the continents. Actually, <laughs> I think that's there's not <laughs> there's very little debate still going on in com- continents, but that is definitely not the case with countries.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it links out to a Wikipedia page for this UN M forty nine thing. I'm not a standard; um, is probably the best name, and it sources that data. Um, that I think that that should, should give you some confidence um, as to what you're going to get. Um, there's some underlying ISO standards as well. I'm just glancing at the uh-huh. at the Wikipedia page. So that's that's always nice to get you started. I guess you know it doesn't absolve you from making sure that um, what you get is is what you need, but uh, it should be a good start for cases where you where you have a need for you know country lists. Um, it it de- also deals with the abbreviations that you know the two letter codes and all that. So that's nice, and I think also calling codes, you know, like the the phone prefixes um, and that sort of thing. So that's um, that's quite a nice package for that. Country Kids by
1: Frederick Jacques. You remind me of uh, so. A couple of years ago now, I did a big survey of uh, iOS and macOS developers um, to kind of take a take the temperature of, of what the industry was like. You know, lots and lots of questions. It was a really big survey, uh, and in the demographic questions uh, around where people were based, um, I needed a list of countries, and so I. I I did the obvious thing which is type into Google list of countries and and I naive very naively picked the first list of countries uh and pasted it into my survey software uh and only when I was looking through the uh in fact I think it may have even it may have even got out to people live people who were answering the survey but only for a couple of hours um and this list was absolute garbage uh there was a country in the list called Texas which is certainly not a country i mean it's a big state but it's not it's not a country um and yeah so it's it's really i mean obviously even if you get a, a good list there are potential problems with no, with with countries but uh but there's an enormous amount of bad data in that kind of uh in that, in that arena out there as well so this is potentially very useful yeah definitely do check before you use it but this should give you a good start at least so my next package um is by Lucas Werner Quickers and it's called ViewKit um and it's a relatively new package it's been uh, only around for a couple of months um but it's effectively a uh, Swift UI like declarative syntax for UIKit. kit um and so It uses result builders, a little bit like SwiftUI does. Uh, And you can make vertical stacks and you can make horizontal stacks and you can make um, UI labels and you'll put an UI label in and it's got view modifiers and all the rest of it. Um, And so if you're still um, building or needing to build something with UIKit, um, but you are missing a little bit of the declarative uh, syntax of SwiftUI, then you might want to take a quick look at this. It's the kind of thing that i i i like packages like this in terms of it's a fun way to look at a, an existing technology but i also and again I, I, i'm not quite sure what it is with me at the moment but every time i recommend a package i'll i feel like i i want to present both sides of the uh of the argument of whether to use it or not because one argument against using something like this is that you introduce a dependency right at the heart of your uh, application yeah. um that you know UI kit does not use this kind of thing by default um and so i i do like stuff like this and certainly i i really enjoy creating applications in this in this declarative style that we've got used to with uh, with swift ui uh and so i would consider this if i uh, if i needed to do some ui kit again nice
0: so this deals with the the layout part of um yes UI views, but because obviously Swift UI is, it is very different in
1: how it manages state and all that. Um, yeah, so this I don't think is tackling any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think it is purely a, from, from what I can see in the README file, it is purely a view builder right. um, uh, uh, technology. Interesting.
0: Cool. My next pick is called DC Settings by David Caddy. Um, and I, I like this one. We did have a settings package recently, so this I should preface this. This is about creating a settings screen, um, and we did talk about or discuss a another package by Cinder Soros called Just Settings a while back. Yeah, we did. Um, and this is a slightly different take because this is this offers up a DSL to configure your settings screen. So like um, a result builder based approach to define what your settings are and then it does the you know the assembling of the UI controls to to lay it out um and f- if you look at the readme it looks really compelling it's very easy to create a setting screen and that looks really nice um one ca- especially on iOS it's it looks exactly like it looks in settings on uh, on macOS there's a bit of a caveat so you need to be okay with the new system settings on <laughs> macOS Ventura f- uh, for in order to agree with that statement that it, it's, uh, it's nice looking. I, I think Ventura is okay. I don't, I don't share that big, um, yeah, me too. um, big complaint about, um, the settings there. I can see how, how, um, you know, I, I can see the UI issues of it. Maybe, you know, it's not scrolling to the right places necessarily, or search being a bit weird sometimes, but I don't think that, um, that's a fundamental problem that's that's a, a little bit of
1: some glitches with the way it's looking right now yeah i would agree with you i think the the settings on venture is it's different um and there are some there are some little things that might need tweaking in future versions but fundamentally i i don't really have a big problem with it um so if, if you're okay with that you you get really nice results um and
0: you know you write it once you get it on both platforms and they it looks like it does right now in both of these platforms like the settings application the the uh it looks like a system rendered thing which, which is a good thing i think yes um it, i i like it when controls are in the common style you know it's there's no surprises there um it's it's standard controls you know that stuff works like you know selecting elements um uh, searching and that sort of thing when that's A standard way. I I really um, prefer that over highly customized um, things where where it's not always obvious how stuff works. So there you go. That's DC settings by David Caddy.
1: My final uh, recommendation for this week is one that I think we should use. (laughs) Um, It's a topic that's come up before um, and we've not ever actually implemented it. Uh, but I think we should I'm not I'm certainly not promising that we'll look at it before um uh, the next episode, but I think we should at some point implement um SwiftLint and add SwiftLint to our project to um to do all the things that SwiftLint does you know that it's a it's a valuable tool and uh, I know we talked about it right at the beginning and I think right at the beginning there was it was kind of challenging to add it to a package.swift based project because it didn't have external tool uh, support but that is no longer the case and in fact we now have uh, swift package plugins that make this kind of thing easy and so my recommendation this week is Adam Young's Swiftlint plugin which is a Swift package plugin for uh, Swiftlint so it, all, all it really does is add the ability to uh, run Swiftlint through Swift package um but I think it's something that we should uh, we should look at and the problem is with and one of the reasons that this is has gone on even a long time after we have package plugins available is that the longer you have not had SwiftLint on the project on a project the bigger task adding SwiftLint is because it's going to it's going to create an enormous um, amount of noise when we first add it as we decide well which rules are important which are not and then the the inevitable corrections of um of well, we talked last last uh, episode about how much code we have. It's certainly not a small project anymore, uh, and so adding this is not a is not going to be a trivial task. But it's the kind of thing that I think at some point we need to to, to bite the bullet and say, okay, we need to we need to implement this and and uh, uh, and and get get that in.
0: Yeah, I'd be very much in favor of that. It it bugs me to know end that. Um... We have different spellings of things, and that's something that I right. yeah. I messed. I've I've always been so. The thing that bugs me most is is URL, um, and that's because I sort of changed my mind halfway through. I've always been on the fence. I don't like the fully capitalized um acronyms, right? Because you sometimes end up with big blocks of just capital letters in, you know, like four or five of them if you have unfortunate um, alignment of of two acronyms. Uh, You know, imagine you had, for some strange reason, URL, HTML URL, right? I think this style guide says that should be HTML capitalized and URL capitalized, but that looks terrible. But what's the alternative? Um, HTML lowercase and then capital U and RL lowercase? that looks nicer but then you then you've introduced the mix and i started out with url as just capital u and then lowercase rl and then i've halfway through i've i've started writing package url and url all capital letters and id is the other one that i'm always on the fence how oh, interesting about whether it should be both capital i and capital d or capital i and lowercase
1: d it's uh, it's i i just want a decision <laughs> and then then i'm happy <laughs> Yeah, i, I and mean, it's funny I've, I've been back and forth on that exact issue uh too but i settled on the other side of it in in that pascal case is is I, I think Pascal case should be Pascal case URL capital U lowercase RL and yes it's not correct in the acronym but these acronym we're, we're rarely using yeah, acronyms yeah. that we don't all know uh, and, and and they do they do look better in in my opinion in in just just Pas- just standard old Pascal case but as, as well Swiftlyn, I mean Swiftlin does do some style stuff like that but it also like linting is more than just style it's that it's looking at it's looking at it's looking a little deeper than yeah. style.
0: Yeah, I'd definitely be interested. I did run Periphery a while back, um, which is a you know a different but kind of similar tool in that it looks at your source code and um, gives you an analysis and highlights issues. Uh, in this case, it Periphery highlights um, unused code, so yeah. it, it allows you to prune functions, methods, you know, things that you aren't actually using. Swift does a good job of highlighting variables that you're not using, but this goes, you know, this identifies functions that you're not using, which the compiler wouldn't otherwise let you know about. And I, I really like those tools because they automate the the maintenance part that is that is re- really hard to do otherwise, right? There's there's no way to detect this automatically. Um, like what periphery does and the linting is is also really nice because you know, you might have some style, but it's it's easy to slip up and um, introduce things yeah. inadvertently, and especially if you have you know, contributors, then it's very clear. If you have a tool like that, what the expectations are around formatting, and you don't have a, you don't need to have a discussion around, well, should it be like this or should it be like this, because there's a certain set of ground rules what it should look like, and you know you don't need to tighten the screws on all of them. But I think there there's a set of sensible rules that that just make make the source code
1: uh, more manageable and I, I think it's a it's a great thing to have. It's also worth mentioning um that this will bring our Swift code in line with our front end code because we've had linting on our JavaScript and our uh CSS for quite a while now. And so uh that happens as part of our build process as well. Um and I also have some plugins in my uh in the editor that I use to edit JavaScript and uh, and, and CSS where on save, it lints and and formats my uh, my code. So that's that's a, that's a way off for Swift yet, but uh, but we certainly do have some linting in the project, and uh, let's bring our Swift code in line with that. Nice,
0: as long as we don't do it the the way a colleague did it. Like this is twenty years ago. This is my first interaction with uh, linting <laughs> it was a uh, Java codebase, and, and he he had a change, like a significant change to the project, and on top of it, he ran a linter, and, and that was the merge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, oh,
1: God, no, you're killing me. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I, I promise you I won't switch any uh, sneak any uh, significant changes in with the linting commit. <laughs> all right um i think that's probably it for this week and we will be back in a couple of weeks with uh with uh, more news based on uh, no rumors but uh the facts of what uh, was announced at wwdc and of course more package recommendations as usual
0: excellent well see you in two weeks bye-bye
1: see you in two weeks
0: bye-bye